Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Good morning, City Life. How are you guys feeling today? You know, it's football season. It's getting ready to come up. And I just saw this in the hallway. And I just, last time I threw one and I just totally, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great catch. But Carlos, I feel like I got you. Oh, I got you too right there. I, got you. I saw first hand up. I got it. Ah, 0 for 2, man. <sighs> Come on, let's see. You, got, you, got, you can throw it. It's a nerf. Just, just make it happen. There you go. Nice throw. Okay, I got one more. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Dude, incredible. One-handed. You just keep that thing, man. You can have that. It's awesome. Dude, that was incredible. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, we're going to have church, but we're just having a little fun. Fall is a great time. I enjoy football. It's people root for their teams and causes so much division, though, sometimes, doesn't it? It's kind of sad how, how quick we can divide over something that doesn't really mean anything. When we talk about eternal life, we're confronted with the brutal fact that one day we will all die. And so far, every single person that has lived, 10 out of 10 people die. It's a truth that we have to confront. It's something that makes us feel so uh, small. Scripture talks about that we're alive just but for a moment like a vapor. So what must we do on this life now and in light of the fact that we will die? How does that impact our decisions today? But also, is there an eternal life forever? Do we live forever? Because if, if we stop and pause and reflect, a lot of our days are so consumed with the thoughts of today, how I feel, what I want, what I think I need. But when we're confronted with a phone call of losing a loved one or some type of tragedy, our to-do list gets so small and then what's really important elevates right to the very top, which is eternal life. Eternal life, and how do we inherit eternal life? If there was an elixir, everybody would wanna drink it. If there was a magic potion, everybody would wanna find it. It's ticking in all of us that there's something more. There's something behind the curtain that we were made for something more. It can't just be here. It's so shallow. I remember one time I was uh, at Subway and this lady was like, hey, how you doing? I said, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, but just okay. She goes, well, why okay? I said, well, I, and this, for whatever reason, that moment I was thinking about just the globe. <laughs> and I said, well, right now I may be doing really good eating Subway, but somebody has no food. She looked at me kind of like, that's way too deep for right now. <laughs> and I was like, I said, it's just real talk. One person's celebrating, another person's mourning. Some person's feasting, another person's starving. There has to be something more to this. We feel like there should be justice. We feel in our hearts that there should be something made right. We get glimpses of it. When a child's born, or we go on a vacation, or we get to see somebody else's vacation and where they went, you get, whoa, look at that. What about Google Earth? You get online, you can 
see all the remarkable things. You go to a movie just for a minute to escape the pains of this world, and you get to just zoom out and see how amazing it can be. It's because that code inside of all of us is we know that there is something more, that there is something right, that it was created with design and purpose, and then sin has eroded that. It has put a stain on that, and we have this battle going on God's kingdom and the enemy's kingdom trying to rule and reign. And ultimately, we're victorious through Jesus. And that's what we're talking about this morning, is we're confronted with eternal truth when we look at Jesus' life, but we're left with so much hope, but we're also so challenged. I want to say a little disclaimer. When you think of church, um, many times you, that is uh, too often portrayed of how you think of Jesus, you might have to separate the two to actually look at Jesus. So at City Life, we really try to do this, pull down every barrier, every wall, so you can actually meet Jesus. Not meet the rules you think, not meet the certain traditions or order you think. Because when Jesus was here, he was hanging out with people that didn't make most of the upper tier people comfortable. He was in such messy situations where people felt comfortable. So where you're at, maybe you're super clean and you're going to get a little dirty this morning. You're going to get messy. And maybe you're super dirty and you're going to sit at the feet of Jesus and get super clean by his power today. Luke chapter 10. Luke is an amazing uh, individual because he didn't roll with Jesus, but yet I was observing and hearing about what was happening from a distance. In fact, he's a doctor. So he spends a lot of detail. Anything he's writing, he's asking people, is this really true? eyewitnesses, to think about it, to get to where we're at, to fake who Jesus is, would just be the biggest scam of all time. The biggest Ponzi scheme of all time. If Jesus isn't real, this is a joke right now. My life is a joke. My conversion of how he's radically delivered me from a bunch of nonsense and finding myself in addiction and pain, that it would just be somehow a mirage. But it's not. It's foolishness to those that are perishing, that don't believe, but to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. And I always thought it was so fascinating. Why is Jesus so debated and hated and celebrated? Why? What did he do? Because even if you stood, if you stood the story alone and you look at him from a distance, you'd say, at the very least, give this story some props. He steps up for people that are broken. He gives rights to children. He steps up for women that are belittled in the culture and society. He lays down his life. He's guiltless. He's persecuted, spit on and mocked. And then he raises from the dead and people see him. And then they go out to love people. And has created some of the greatest movements in the history of mankind for all of humanity has been followers of Jesus from 12 misfits and a band of idiots that were so confused and scared to now we're sitting in a place in a school talking about who he is. There's power in his name. That's why he's the most date debated, the most hated, but he's the most celebrated for those that are being saved. And for us, we got to think about this quote by N.T. Wright real quick before we dive in. I love this. It says, the ecclesia, ecclesia meaning church. Church is a word that we associate with a building. Ecclesia refers to a gathering of a group of people that are together on mission. It's even used sometimes as a gathering of people in war. 
And so we're a gathering, we're in war. We're not battling with flesh and blood. We're not fighting with weapons. We're fighting with a different type of set of standards and rules and guns. We're fighting with love that we're fighting with forgiveness that can come and overcome, conquer anything. N.T. Wright writes this, the ecclesia, the Messiah's body is nothing short of a new version of the human race, eternal life. So remarkable that God would breathe his spirit in people that didn't deserve it. I uh, saw a quote online this week. It said, well, what about the God of the Old Testament? Sometimes we hear about God. He's destroying people and, and he's, and he's putting, pouring out his wrath and he has moments of, but, but yes, he has judgment because you would never want to, to go to a judge that was corrupt. I don't want to be in a courtroom that's corrupt. And too often we have courtrooms that are corrupt and can be bought and can be filled with propaganda or subjective towards their own persuasion but ultimately we'll answer to God. But in God's courtroom, he's perfect and just, and he has to be perfect and just because that's who he is. He's right and he's always right. He's gonna be always true. He exists before we exist. He is the great I am. The great I am sets the rules and the standards. And that's what's really hard sometimes is we come to the table today. We come and we say, I wanna be God. I want to be. I wanna sit on the throne. I don't want this thing above me. I don't want his word above me. I don't wanna to submit to his guidelines and standards. I want him to be lower and I wanna stomp on him a little bit and then I can pick him up when I need him and that's when I cry out, Savior, like, help me, I'm struggling, help me. And then he saves you and then he says, come on, let's walk with me. No, I'm, I'm busy today. I'm busy today. Anybody relate? I told him so many times, God, just get me out of this mess and I'll serve you. He got me out of so many messes, it was unbelievable. And I still didn't serve him. It took a radical divine intervention from the Holy Spirit, just showing up in my life so strong. And then he gave me grace to change the disciplines. And so when we look at the God of the Old Testament and we see him sometimes pouring out some pretty harsh things, we have to remember this. He's only killed one time an innocent person and allowed that to happen. That was his son, Jesus. We're guilty, so we don't deserve it. That's why the beauty of the gospel is so good because the bad news is so bad that we can't make ourselves our, our, on our own. We can't inherit eternal life. Like sin separates us from God. That's, this is what the gospel is. This is a message in its purest form that we need all the time, every single day. This gospel that saved us is sustaining us and that for somebody here, hearing it for the first time, never heard it like this, that you're guilty beyond you could ever think you're deserving of an eternal sentence, but that Jesus steps in, covers you, and gives you his life. And then when you exchange it, that's that verse they read. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Nothing short than a miracle, a brand new version of the human race. We're a Jew, Gentile, white, black, rich, poor, old, young, can all come together and belong here in Jesus. And so when we say you belong here, what we really mean is in Jesus, okay? So Luke 10, we're gonna have a controversial statement uh, by an individual that's looking to get Jesus in a tangle because they don't like how much commotion and turmoil and um, he's just threatening the system, the powers that be. He is not entry level. He's coming in super uncomfortable. He's super messy. People don't like him except those that need him because he says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came but for the sick. And for those that think they're healthy based on a standard set of rules and tradition, he's gonna wreck them up and mess them up. Yes. Yeshua. Passion of Christ. They say something. They, they, they say Yeshua a lot in it. I loved it. Yeshua. It stuck with me all this day. 
Yeshua. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Oh, I don't want to be putting Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You can almost just sense a little bit of the sarcasm, sarcastic tone in his voice, a little bit of mockery even, to be working for the Pharisees and try to get Jesus to basically break a law so they could justify what ultimately would take place. And Jesus, he responds like a kung fu flick. You know, the ones that are like, I'll tell you right now. He does. You listen up. He says, when I was reading it, that's the picture I got this week. What is written in the law? He responds with a question. If you want to diffuse criticism many times, just respond with a question, an authentic, sincere one. What is written in the law and how do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The first two commandments sum up all of the commandments. It's the heart condition of where we're at. How do we respond to God and his love that pursues us, his steadfast love that found us? As we were enemies, he found us. And then how do we respond to the thing he holds most dear? People. So love God, love people. We've heard it many times. It's easier we feel like to do this one because people are really challenging because they're broken and they're sinners and they're mean and they betray and they're just like you and they're just like me. Broken, sinners, mean and betray. Do the same type of things. Have wickedness in our heart, judgment, condemnation, regret, unforgiveness. These type of things are the same things in our heart. So the litmus test we find here and Jesus, and then he said to him, he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Come on, can we qualify this a little further, Jesus? Who specifically would be my neighbor? Who should I love specifically? There's a term, imago Dei, that all people all the way back in the beginning of creation are made in the image of God. All people are made in the image of God. And when we come into a conversation of race, we must acknowledge all the injustices for certain races that have been oppressed, even systematically, that's still going on today, and it's atrocious. But when we come in Jesus, what we find is, the truth is that God made all people in his image so there's one race, the human race, God's race, God's people. And so it starts to calibrate everything. Like, who is my neighbor? Starts to ask a question instantly, like, well, God, or who do you want me to love, Jesus? Like, who should that be? And wonder what conditions should I love somebody? And we see in another passage that he says, I give you a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. It's hard to love like Jesus unless you let Jesus' love flow through you. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, now there's no more questions. It's game time. Kung Fu flick has changed. It's about to get on. And he is about to tell us what time it is. We need to listen. We need to lean in because this isn't about me delivering with passion. This isn't about me just trying to stay up here and hope that we're connecting. This is about God trying to talk to you and challenge you throughout your whole week, your whole day, and to ultimately change your heart right now. That's his whole goal. My heart too. 
a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Let's pause. A priest should stop and talk to the individual. If someone gets beat and there's a doctor present, you would expect that a doctor would go into the situation. Who knows CPR here? And somebody would come and go into the situation. You would expect the person to be the most qualified or has a job title to be the one to respond first and foremost. I love Jesus for so many reasons, but most importantly, one of the things I love about him is that he wrecks and he burns our job titles. He does not care about our power. In fact, he looks at our power, he changes it. I got a note here, I love it. I wanna just write this real quick. He didn't exercise his power on his own. In fact, he invites us to do what he did with his power, which is like, burn it, let it go, submit it, and serve and go low. So the priest might have been exercising, you know, a certain mission, walking by. So Jesus is really trying to illustrate a point here that shows the individual you think would love the neighbor just walks by and passes by. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by the other side. Now, a Levite as well. Now, a priest would have been a Levite, but not all Levites would have been a priest. So this is showing completely, you have two illustrations, one and two, walking by this individual that's beaten on the side of the road. One and two are perfect backgrounds unto God of what people would think on the outside in. Man doesn't look on the outside appearance alone, but the inside appearance he judges the heart. It's how he chose David. It's how we started out this series, that God wants to look at your heart. And when we look at your heart, when we give our heart to Jesus, we are complete, we are full, we are fully known, and we have more than anything this world has to offer. So the illustration, priest, fully qualified, should be dominating, great background, God's people. Levite, as well, God's people should be dominating, should go respond to this individual. And then here is where it gets really challenging. But a Samaritan, you could insert there. If you're a Michigan fan, a Spartan. You could insert there. If you're a Wolverine fan, a Sp- or, I mean, if you're a Spartan, you could insert a Wolverine. And if you're just mad at everybody, you insert Buckeye. I mean, if you're Roll Tide, you're inserting War Eagle. There is so much tension as soon as they hear Samaritan. Jews don't like Samaritans. So when we hear Samaritan, they're, I mean, it is so tense. A Samaritan, like instantly his blood's boiling. I don't even know what you're about to say, but you just said a Samaritan. That's how much Jews don't like Samaritans. They don't like them because for, for years and years and years, they would bow to different gods and then they, they wed and they had children and they were in families with unclean people groups, if you will, not God's people group. So they would be considered, I read in one commentary, it would be like half-breeds, they looked at them. low lives. Half-breeds. Sickening, huh? Well, here's what Jesus is going to illustrate this point so into the depths of his soul and our souls this morning. That it's so messy that the person who may save could be the one that you hate, that you would think is unlikely, that doesn't come from the right background and the noble birth. And he journeyed and came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That word is so powerful because it's filled with response. And it's filled with response, not in just action, but it's first motivated in the heart. What makes us weep? You ever gotten so callous to the issues in the world that your heart doesn't respond as quick anymore 
to the cries? You ever find yourself saying that you're supposed to have compassion in your head, but then with your deeds, you just don't follow through with compassion? It can happen to all of us. Especially now, I think more than ever, because we have access to information all across the globe, it is easier to close a window online and be like, I just can't hear anymore about all the issues in the world. I'm just gonna focus on myself, my rights, my power, my life, and justify it and say, well, hey, I gotta take care of myself, right? Yes, but no, we're also living for an eternal hope and we're answering to an eternal king. And so we're already defined by him. And so therefore our mission and our values are completely different. And so this individual responds in the way that the Jew should have responded. The priest should have responded. He says he went to him. So he goes to him physically. This is just like Jesus. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Oil and wine are symbolic for they would be, uh, it's very compassionate. It's, 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 uh, illustrates there just how deep and comforting this particular moment is. It's coming to them with the exact ointment that they need. So comforting. You ever sat in ER and you had the person that wasn't so comforting? You're like, why did you decide to be a nurse? And why did you decide to be a doctor? Because you're so not comforting. And even though they're doing the job, they're responding to the mission. You feel like just, just a number. That's happened so many times. Like, can you slow down, please? Can you slow down just for two seconds? Just want to ask you a question. I know you're doctor, man, and you're so amazing. Uh, can, you ask, can I just ask you, what did you mean by that? And they just, they just go so quick. And you can tell the person that's a little slower with compassion that shows up with oil and wine. That's what's going on here. Illustrating the point so deep that not only was there compassion, but there was care and comfort in how the Samaritan responds. He went to him, bound him up with his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he sent on his own animal, he takes ownership and brought him into the inn and take care of him. And then the next day he took out the two denarii and gave to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay to you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. He's got all the right answers up here. The one who showed mercy, obviously, it's a heart condition. Because we could read this and be like, okay, well, wow, faith in action, 100% true. We have to respond and love every single person and stop. But wait, if we just respond and we do a lot of good works, if our heart isn't filled with the heart that God has in us of mercy and compassion, then it's just shallow and it's done in vain. That we're building a house and the Lord isn't in it and then the work is done in vain. But when the Lord gives victory, we can celebrate and we do that and we do our works and we do our passion from a, from a heart of compassion, from a heart of mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. For us this morning, loving people will cost us. It's challenging. In one crowd says, I'm sick of loving people because I've gotten burnt so much. Someone else says, I'm the person on the side of the road. I wish somebody would just come love me. But all of us can have the heart of God to say, hmm, what do you want me to do for the one? 
What do you want me to do for my life as I live interruptible? That's what I love about the Samaritan. He was going about his business. My favorite part of probably the whole story there is that he goes, he put, gets him, put him on the horse, goes to the innkeeper, says, look, whatever he spends, charge it to me. I'm going to come back. And then he went about his way. Because a lot of times we think helping somebody, we have to stop everything we're doing forever. Jesus illustrates, no, he stops, does what he can in the particular moment. He puts a conditional uh, requirement. And he's a businessman. He's going to probably go and then he's going to come back. That's what true help looks like. Help with boundaries, help with clarity, help with leadership to love, to listen, to learn, but also to lead. Some people who want help, come on, we've been this person. You just want help, but really you just want somebody to, you know, sit there and, and eat chocolate with for like t- 10 years. I just, oh, so you don't understand how bad it was. And I don't understand how bad it was. I, you know, you got to stay. You're not helping me. You're never, this person leaves and then comes back. So cool because it communicates a healthy rhythm, a healthy rhythm of helping somebody. Mercy was what God desired more. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In James, James writes about, James was Jesus' brother who wasn't following with Jesus at the time, but it's a lot of credit because if he's gonna talk about after his brother rises and he sees everything, wow, maybe he really was that the whole time. And then he starts devoting himself with followers of the way. And then he writes about it in James 1 and James 2, but he talks about don't treat people differently upon how they look and how much money they have. So the gospel wrecks us. You treat people based upon how I see them and your faith should lead to works. If you see someone that needs clothes, clothe them. If you see someone that needs food, feed them. Because your faith should dictate your actions. And too often in church, we played the action game, but really it was about our heart that God wanted. And then when we come from that place and we come from that posture, we find ourselves loving people and we all can do this. There's a quote that says, to the world, you may be only one person, but to one person, you may be the world. You may be the world. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.